I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Kat. They had serotonin syndrome. Let's talk about it. All right. Uh, Well, this will be really fun. We are sitting down with Kat Orr all the way from Western Australia. And, uh, and oh, no, it's really late there right now. Kat, it's uh, one o'clock your time. And you said you had a shift at seven. I do. God, I face painting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Tell us, tell us about what it is you do. You work with children, right? I do. Yes. Yeah. So I, I do have a teaching degree. But at the moment, I'm essentially running a childcare center for school-aged kids. So it's like before and after school care. And so that's kids that are about three and a half all the way to 12. Oh, wow. You got your hands full. Huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I, you know what? There's, uh, there's, something, there's something really, I really love um, spending time with children. Uh, it's like, it, it just, my heart fucking swells. It makes me feel really good. It like hearing children laugh is like one of my favorite things in the world. Plus, because you act like one, you fit in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am a child, um, and um, and I I'm pretty sure that when I'm hanging out with kids, I get this little little boost of serotonin. You know what I'm talking about? Like that little serotonin boost when you're hanging out with some children it makes you feel good, makes you feel happy. That, totally, like, just that right, just that right amount. And there's like <laughs> not no, too much, really, because I feel like there's not no amount that's too much. Like, <laughs> well, you, Brian, when, actually, let me step in there and correct you. There is such thing as too much serotonin, and we're probably going to hear a little bit about that because Cat. We're going to be talking about long-term serotonin syndrome, to which I did not know there was long-term serotonin syndrome. And uh, also... I've never heard of serotonin syndrome. These guys don't know what serotonin syndrome is. I, 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 by the name, I would assume that it, you don't get enough serotonin. That's what I thought. That was my initial reaction. I think it's a little bit different. Kat, why don't you introduce yourself uh, and let the guys know, what is serotonin syndrome? All right. Uh, hi, I'm Kat. As you know, I'm Australian. I am 25. And in, I think it was 2017 to 2018, I developed a pretty bad case of long-term serotonin syndrome. So long-term serotonin syndrome isn't as well known. Mm. And it's only really come about, I think, maybe in the past two or so years from what I've been able to find out. And it's serotonin syndrome is an interesting thing because it's, it's when you look it up, you either find studies and articles that are really clinical and make no sense to most people mm-hmm. or studies that are really, really simplified. And then you have to kind of put the puzzle pieces together and then to have your own experience that you have to like tie in makes it a bit more difficult, but it's essentially well, everybody has serotonin and you need that to be able to function. That's part mm. of what helps you to function 
on in day-to-day life, not just like mood-wise, but also just like brain function. And obviously some people have less and, you know, that'll be for a variety of reasons, such as like depression and that kind of thing. And you end up usually, hopefully taking antidepressants for that kind of thing. But if it's not managed well or managed correctly, you can develop serotonin syndrome, particularly if you end up taking two drugs that interact with each other. And so they'll be, both drugs will run through serotonin pathways Mm -hmm. or they're considered to be serotonergic drugs. And the interaction between those two is what causes such a like spike in serotonin. And so short term, it's seen in cases that'll last like two to three days. And I actually have one of my best friends around the same time it was happening to me, it happened to her. And I was so confused because I was experiencing something entirely different. And she was like, oh, you know, I just started like a new medication and it interacted and I developed some serotonin syndrome, so I had to stop taking it. Mm. And I was like, the fuck? Because that wasn't my experience at all, but that was hers. Mm-hmm. And that's the most normal. So then you stop taking the medication that's interacting and then it sort of dies down after a couple of days. Yeah. Whereas for me, uh, <laughs> I was on five drugs that I was taking daily that all interacted and that was for like a solid eight to ten months whoa whoa okay so wait so you're saying what you're saying is that there's drugs can like interact with your different receptors or like go into your body through different receptors so like if we were to imagine drugs as like different types of drugs um as like bus loads of medication, busloads of people going to different water parks. And at each water park, there was a lazy river. And I am, I am, I am, I am, I'm actually and getting so angry. You, you took these, you took these buses and, and accidentally or unknowingly, these buses went to the serotonin receptor water park. And then all of a sudden there was just way too many people on the lazy river. And like, usually you could just kick those people out. Like, say one busload oh, of people man. has to go out. Guys, when we spend seven days on the road together, we just need to take like a five-day break. I know. I'm feeling silly. <laughs> well, so, here, Brian, let me so, just, wait, wait, wait. This is I'm a great just, analogy, Brian. No, I'm asking Kat if this yeah, is yeah, correct, yeah. if yeah. I'm thinking about it. So <laughs> yeah, usually yeah, you yeah. can just pack up a busload of those people and send them out, and that's fine. But you actually have five <laughs> busloads of people there, and all of them are trying to go on the lazy river, and then you can't get them out of there. Yeah, 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 kind of. So it's like it's 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 more like you have too many people trying to ride a ride. Yeah. yeah. All at yeah, once. Yeah. So they yeah. all want to go on the roller coaster. Or later. But there are yeah. only so many seats. And so you're just packing like three into a two person seat. And that's right. dangerous on a roller coaster. Um, exactly. Uh, so what, what, so, so what's here, the difference me, between what? So what I understood when when I, I, I actually only knew I came to know what serotonin syndrome was a couple of years ago. And um, the way that I came to understand what it was, was I was, let's say this will be a hypothetical story because none of this is actually true. Hypothetically, I took MDMA with uh, with some friends and uh, the next the following day with said friends, hypothetically, we all um, one of them said, hey, um, if you're feeling down today, if you're feeling like that MDMA that you didn't take yesterday uh, is making you feel down. 
take some of this 5-HTP. And 5-HTP is like a serotonin re-upt- reuptake drug that like kind of, um, kind of refills your serotonin after having depleted all your serotonin from the MDMA. But one of the things they said was, by the way, if you take this, great, but in the future, do not ever take this at the same time that you take the MDMA. Because if you do, you're going to be overloaded with serotonin, and that's, and, and which can lead to serotonin syndrome. And then the one thing that I remember, hypothetically, if this conversation actually happened, was you can die from that. So serotonin syndrome, like if you get, if you get over flooded with serotonin, um, it, it can be a, a disaster. Like it can really fuck you up. But the thing that I'm so curious about is how the fuck can you get serotonin syndrome but yet have it last for so long with something that can be so vitally dangerous. Yes, it was definitely, it, it was progressive for sure. And it felt like at the beginning, because I know exactly when it started all the way to the end, it was just getting progressively worse. And so my hypothesis for this is that it was like, I was relatively okay at the start and then because I was taking so many things and I mean I do have depression I have anxiety I have things where I am needing additional serotonin so I am using up some of that but it's like you're adding a teaspoon of water to a cup and eventually it starts to overflow. Mm. We we had a uh, we had a conversation with somebody on the podcast uh I think the episode came out maybe a week ago or so with with a woman named Gabby who had an IUD mm-hmm. put in and her IUD caused a bunch of hormonal changes and she went into like a really quick and deep depression and she was uh, having suicidal thoughts and um, she ended up writing a book, very beautiful episode. You go and listen to it. Um, but one of the things that kind of came out of the conversation was like the, the kind of the fascination with the lack of information that she, that she received uh, about getting the IUD and, and someone saying, Hey, this is a, a potential side effect. With with um, serotonin syndrome, are the medications that you're taking like is it individual? Is it individual like the same two medications that might give me, or in your case, five medications that might give me serotonin syndrome? May they will they may maybe not give somebody else serotonin syndrome, or are these medications known? And are you getting that information from the pharmacist or from the doctor or whoever's? Uh, or, or somebody in like the healthcare in, in the healthcare world, are they saying, "Hey, look out for X, Y, Z because these medications might react and cause such a thing"? Um, unfortunately, because we we have an amazing healthcare system, and I really don't want to dismiss that fact. And right. I've seen it do wonders for people, and it's it's helped me a lot. But the unfortunate truth is that it was a mismanagement of medication. I shouldn't have been prescribed all of these at the same time. And I know for a fact that I would always ask like, is there anything else I need to know or what should I be careful of? I never asked specifically like, does this interact with X, Y, and Z or what are the side effects? But I kind of expected that to be told to me. Totally. And I go to every appointment with all of my medications because realistically I have a lot of like health conditions I have a lot of medications I take on a day-to-day basis some of which are not as common so it's always important for me to take that with me 
and they have that information and they have documentation, publications and databases that they should be able to go to to identify whether or not they should be prescribing an additional medication and whether or not it's going to interact. And they just weren't doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's just a slip up of the, uh, it's just, a, it's just a crack, uh, a crack. Um, it's like a slip, this just slips through the crack and like in, a crack in the lazy river. In, there's a crack in the lazy river. The <laughs> yeah, river dude. starts to flow down and the information just does not get to you. Although it is, although it should be, it should have, it is known that these particular medications mm. might cause something like this in somebody, but that just, that information just never made it to you. Exactly. And mm. even things like going to a variety of different medical professionals throughout the the time when I was dealing with serotonin syndrome, it wasn't picked up on. No one knew. And I'm very, very lucky that at that late stage it was picked up because it could have gotten really bad really quick yeah. by then. So, so Jerry, when you said when you said serotonin syndrome can kill you, like do you do like do you know or or cat like what what is what is the what is the I mean I get the base function, too much serotonin. But what is the, you know, what causes the, how does that, how does that occur? How does it happen where it could be fatal? I don't know exactly what it is, but it's, it can lead to like unconsciousness and then lead to death. Um, so it's, I mean, you, you could kind of think of it as like an overdose, mm. uh, like a drug overdose sure. of sorts, which I, I think, I think, you know, there has been cases in the past where people have used their like antidepressants to, um, to take their own life. Oh, okay. And and what's happening there, from what I gather, is that that is it. it serotonin syndrome is basically the mechanism at which is okay. you know ending their life. Uh, but Kat, I don't know if you have more more info on that. Yeah, and I do. I also have like sort of symptoms which very much are written in a way where it kind of gives uh, a progression. But essentially, it's it's also referred to as serotonin toxicity. So it mm, is mm-hmm. over time poisoning you and. Yeah, it, it's, you know, too much of anything in that situation, especially like a chemical in your body is going to cause issues. And so it's things like you get, for me, it was actually like, so I, I don't sweat. I'm not a sweaty person. I just go embarrassingly red. And then people ask me if something's wrong. But all of a sudden I was sweating so much and it was the worst because at the time I was in my second year of university, I was student teaching. And it's like, how do you teach a bunch of four-year-olds while you're like dripping with sweat? And I was constantly embarrassed. But, th- and that's how I know exactly when it started. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, it's things like confusion, disorientation, being really agitated, headaches. You can get like really high fluctuations in your blood pressure, um, you get shivering, tremors, muscle twitches, and like muscle spasms. Then you can end up with a fever, seizures, mm. having fits and passing out. And then from there, it progresses to kidney failure, falling into a coma, and then death. Oh my God. So, what were like when it came to a head, like what were the worst symptoms that you were having when this was going on? And then, and then, and and then also like how did you end up getting the diagnosis um in 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 the case that like long term serotonin syndrome is it seems so rare and and not really much known about um by far the worst was that i ended up having two seizures 
and they were both very similar. And so I think they're focal onset aware seizures, which is that they're quite short. And then you also, you don't pass out your, you just have impaired awareness and then you can have like repeated movements, your eyes move back and forth sometimes, which is what I had. And I was alone both times as well, which was quite scary. Mm. And so that was like at the, the the worst of it would have been that, but I kind of had most symptoms and I really struggled with just being constantly disoriented, constantly mm. confused. And my best friend at the time, who was still my best friend today, she was so protective of me during that time because she we were studying together and it was like she would have to make sure someone was always with me because she just didn't know what was going to happen. Mm. And I didn't really, like, there's so much of it I don't remember. And, like, two of the crystal clear memories I have, actually there's three, but was a painting that I was doing, which I now have up in my bedroom, and I was painting it going, is this the last thing I'm ever going to create? Like, am mm. I going to die before I can ever do anything else? And then the second is me trying to speak to my mom about it. But I was so confused and I struggled so much to be able to articulate myself that she couldn't really understand what I was trying to tell her. But mm. I was essentially trying to say, I genuinely think I'm dying and something is very wrong. And so my parents then, and I mean, I think it's important to also mention, like, my parents are amazing. They're incredible human beings and they have helped me so much throughout everything that's happened. And they ended up leaving on, <laughs> leaving on a vacation, but mm -hmm. because, of course, they wanted to get away from me. No. Um, <laughs> they, it wasn't because they didn't care. It was because no one really understood how serious it was. Mm -hmm. And so they had, because they're originally from South Africa and they only moved to Australia after I was born. So they were going back for like a reunion for their university. They were gone for about three weeks. So it was my brother and I. And that's when it was actually the worst is mm. when it was just he and I, and that made it more difficult, but at least I had him because he's a very logical person. He's an engineer. So <laughs> we, we balance each other quite well. <laughs> and I, but I couldn't articulate myself. So I was in the bathroom the first time I had a seizure and I didn't know what had happened. So I came out and I just remember saying like, I did something weird in the bathroom and it's like, He's not going to jump to to some sort of. He's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's <laughs> like, I don't want to know. Wait, you, you took a took a purple shit. Like, what's going on? Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, when did uh, like the, you telling you kind of expressing? I think especially the like confusion of it all and the disorientation. And I, I I'm assuming that you mean that in hindsight, the sweating was was sort of the the first that's how you know where when it started uh, in high and i'm assuming that's in hindsight like when 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 was it and how did you especially with all the disorientation end up end up going i need to i need a doc i need to see i need medical attention immediately 
that was probably when my parents got back and I tried to explain like what it had been like and my brother backed me up by saying it was like interacting with a PC where the monitor was running and you moved the mouse and nothing responded. And it was like he, yeah, exactly. I can't imagine how difficult it would have been to interact with me. I must have been a pain. (laughs) And he was trying to like reorganise things at the time and I just sat there or stood there. And it, it must have been like watching a sim that was being unattended to. Mm, right. Did- and, yeah, my parents eventually they were like, okay, so something is wrong. And they took me to my absolute godsend of a rheumatologist who has picked up on just about everything that he has ever needed to. And that man will forever be one of the best things that's ever happened to me. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Yeah, you you said that you were sort of like no stranger to the healthcare system prior to this too, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it's interesting because, Jared, I didn't tell you about this, I don't think, but um, uh, about a month ago, I came home one night from doing something. I can't remember what, what we were doing. but uh, And I was doing something really weird in your bathroom? No, uh, yeah, I was, typical. You just said it was really weird, um, but I had, I, I had this like sort of like aura in my vision that oh. came over, and I, oh, that's not good, and I couldn't see for like thirty minutes. That's, oh, you uh, told me this. That sounds yeah, like I told you, I didn't tell you. a mini stroke. So I was trying to read my phone, and I couldn't read the text on it, and it was, it was like really weird. But I'd come in from like bright light outside inside and it felt sort of like that like your eyes are readjusting thing but my eyes just never readjusted and it was like over 30 minutes like that yeah and i called my mom and i called um maddie and eventually they were like you should go to the hospital yeah and so i reluctantly because i was like i'd feel fine otherwise i just can't see and so i went to the hospital <laughs> and uh which i, I feel this, fine i'm just blind so th- but this is this is actually my point to cat um so when i went into the hospital i triage was two and a half hours to see the triage nurse oh fuck and Fucking so hell. i waited there long enough to see the triage nurse <sighs> um they did an ecg on me uh my heart was Holy fine shit. my vision was this up yet? my vision was fine after that and then um, they asked if I was dehydrated or stressed and I was like, probably both. both. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they were like, okay, well, you know, it's an 11 hour wait here. So either you wait here to see a oh, doctor wow. or you go home and, and they, they insisted that I stayed. But at that point I was like, I'm going to go home. But my, my point in bringing this up is that as soon as I was like, something's weird about <laughs> me, um, <laughs> I, w- I ended up going straight to the hospital and Kat, I'm curious if your brother said that you were like a, a a computer that was not responding and you're just standing there in the living room and you said like, this is, I just, something weird happened in the bathroom. 
I'm curious, what what was it that you thought was going on at that time? Do you have any recollection of how you felt in that moment? And why did you wait so long to go to the hospital? <laughs> um, I felt really hopeless, honestly. And I I felt like this was going to be a situation of like one of those really weird fucked up medical mysteries where 40 years in the future they'd figure out what had happened and I had like some strange poisoning or something because nothing was making sense. Mm -hmm, And the information on serotonin syndrome, which I did actually look at, did not fit my criteria because it was like, oh, it's really sudden. It's like three days maximum. And I was like, well, this is much longer than three days. Mm -hmm. Smacking my microphone. Um, we couldn't see you. I thought maybe you had a you had like a serotonin syndrome bout there. It sounded like you fell. No, I was just doing something weird in the bathroom. Um, <laughs> you tell. That was the sound of the purple shit. <laughs> I just Sorry. realized I have like staff members who are gonna listen to this. <laughs> You're welcome, staff. <clears throat> so yeah, it was it was very hopeless and I'd seen like my GP and I'd actually, I think, spoken to my psychiatrist as well. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, we don't fucking know. And I was like, great. So that's entirely unhelpful and I'm still stuck. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the weirdest part about it is people will ask that and it's so hard to be like, this is normal for me. I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and Mm. accompanying that I have something called dysautonomia, Mm. which is essentially just something that completely fucks your nervous system up. So it's your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And it just completely obliterates the average normal nervous system. Mm. And Mm. I've dealt with these things for a long time. And part of that is that it's this constant ever-changing web of symptoms. There are issues that I had five years ago that I don't have now and things that I deal with now that I have never had before. And you get used to having symptoms just pop up and being like, oh, I guess that's a thing now that I have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, like that, just to kind of hop in there, I totally get that, even with CF, you know, like, there will be things that happen to me and I go, well, this must be a CF thing. That's just like kind of new, you know? And like, but in reality, it's like, it's probably, it probably isn't. It's probably tied to something else completely. Um, like being, you know, dehydrated or stressed, (laughs) but it's like, but I, but I, but I do, it's like when something new pops up, my, my go-to reaction is, Oh, must be a CF yeah. thing. It must know? be the thing that I'm actually very familiar with and totally used to. And have to. been dealing with fucking every day for my yeah. entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, especially with when you talk about like Ehlers-Danlos, like I know that Ehlers-Danlos is one of those illnesses. Like we were just hanging out with our friend Joanne in Vancouver who has um, Ehlers-Danlos. And like talking to her, it's it's one of those illnesses that that just evolves and it's just constantly throwing shit at you and you're going okay this is the new normal i guess also can probably make other symptoms from other things feel and look a different way too yeah right did you uh cat did you feel like while you were going through this with the confusion and the disorientation that it was just really hard for you to intellectually like make make decisions to go to see to seek help like i've been in a i've been in a situation before where i was 
clearly needed medical attention, but just was like totally incapable of doing that for myself. It's like I needed, I needed a friend or a partner or somebody to like help me access like physically and mentally access help because I just wasn't able to do that. Was there any, was there any uh, sense of that within this like confusion and disorientation? You just weren't able to, to help yourself. Absolutely. And it kind of got to the point where I was like, I can't help myself. I don't know who is able to help me at this point because every, everyone that I've seen so far, they don't know. It feels pointless. And one of my best friends that I mentioned before, Kaylee, she was saying, I will take you. If no one else is going to take you, I will take you who to, who you need to see. And I was just like, I don't know who I need to see. I don't know what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I was like, well, I, I can't go through the motions or think through the steps to get there. And it took quite a long time. Like I was, I spent like over a week writing all of my symptoms because it just took so long for me to even mm-hmm. get that thought process completed. Were you still um, like teaching at this time, doing, doing the, like the substitute teaching? So that would be student teaching, which is a little bit different. So I wasn't qualified yet. And those, we call them pracs because they're praxis teaching. Um, that was thankfully finished at the time. Okay. And so I was kind of in between two pracs at the time. So it was thankfully not going to impact that because that would have been a nightmare. I would have had to pull out and then probably repeat a whole year of university. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine you doing your day-to-day things that need to get done while you're in the state. I, I'm, and I'm imagining you can really do any of that. And mm-hmm. so if you were, if you had to do practice teaching at the time or student teaching at the time, that would be a nightmare. How, how did you go about getting the diagnosis in the end? So I, I managed to get an appointment with my rheumatologist and it was so funny. I walked in there, I gave him the list of symptoms he looked at me, he did about two or three different tests and he was like, yeah, it's serotonin syndrome. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> that was too easy. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, that's why I, I appreciate him so much is this is not the first time he's done this. This is probably like the fourth time. He's very, very good at just identifying that. And he actually, he largely works with kids, which I think is also incredible. But it's just, it was so easy and there was no relief it was just like great so now what am I still dying is that Mm. what is happening which kind of yes but it didn't make anything better there wasn't an easy way out of this is is the way out like when 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 he know when he says it's serotonin syndrome is it as is it as simple as going it's serotonin syndrome. We know that this happens because of a mix of, of medications. We have to just, we have to just tackle the medication, um, uh, um, like the, 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 the amount of medication or the, the, the combination of medications that you're on and this will start to dwindle. And like, you kind of have to, is it almost like sort of like withdrawal, I guess, in a, in a sense, like you, you have to wait for that to go away over time as you change your medication. Sort of, but it also, again, was not done nearly correctly. So 
an example of that is I'm actually still on most of those medications just at a lower dose and like I'm kind of managing and I know like the first signs now Mm. but even then when I was finally kind of going okay I know what I need to do there was not nearly enough support and again trying to contact my psychiatrist and he basically said well you probably need to stop taking some things it's like yeah no shit but I can't do that without knowing what is the best option here and I ended up having to go cold turkey on my antidepressants which were already way too high and then that backfired completely because I became really unwell mentally within this span of maybe a day or two because that's got it's that's got its own like just I mean if I mean in a world where you were only on an antidepressant going cold turkey on an antidepressant that's not that's 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 not like, that. that's not advised, right? M- m- more or less. Exactly, yeah. and so that was what was told to me as first point of getting rid of things, I guess. So it was like a it, like you were kind of getting a was it like a process of elimination? They were going just stop that and let's see what happens, and then if, if I think end, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. What Which, uh, what what medications were were they? So. I was on, I'm trying to remember. So amitriptyline. Of course. Symbolta, which I can't remember the other names for. You should see Brian's Brian's literally going, can't believe they prescribed me all those. (laughs) The the reason why Um, I ask the question is because I, I think that there's probably people who are listening who are like, fuck. Am I on yeah. a collection of those medications mm. and feeling that way? I'm just curious what they are. Then I I have really severe ADHD and mm. I develop a tolerance really quickly. So I take sort of alternating, I'll take Ritalin and Dex. And I know that Dexamphetamine is also on that list. And then I was taking Tramadol pretty much daily and that's on there. And metoclopramide as well, which you're not supposed to take regularly because it's it's like a nausea drug. Mm. And I have really, really bad like motion sickness. I can't be in cars, buses, anything like that. And then it got really bad. So it was like consistently happening. And so I was taking it pretty much daily. And that's really bad because it increases a lot of things, including stroke risk. And I didn't know this until this year. Mm-hmm. And then there were a couple of other things that I was on and off as well that were just all on that list of things. Do not take these together. I mean, like that happens like that, like not in this is obviously in a way that um, is life threatening. Um, But it is it is so fascinating. Just the just the function of being on and needing to be on so many medications like when when when. Um, my wife and I went through IVF and Kyla was on, holy fuck. She was on so much shit. And it was like, so, and on top of the prescription medications, it was also a ton of like vitamins and supplements. And it was always like, oh, you can't take this supplement with this medication because if you do that, then the medication just won't work. Like it will just completely nullify that fact that you've taken it. It was like, you can't take this medication if you take an iron pill within like two hours of doing it. And so because of that, and I, and I would imagine that you probably have, you, this is probably speaks to you, uh, um, I would imagine, Kat, 
is like you end up having to basically take a medication at like every hour of the day. Yeah, instead of having the the pill boxes that are seven days, you need one that looks more like a Google calendar. Yeah, with and, like and your daily like like hour like by measured hour. out by the hour, the half hour, because yeah. you can't take them all at the same time. You can't just take them all and shove them in your mouth because then they all fuck each other up. Yeah. And instead you gotta be like all throughout the day, you're like, Oh, I gotta take this one at ten thirty, gotta take this one at twelve thirty yeah. and all that shit. Like is that is that the is that true for you, Kat? Are they are do you have medications that they're like, you just gotta take these at different times because they'll all fuck with each other? And they yeah, obviously absolutely. all fuck with each other big time in your brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and because I also take a lot of like supplements because I'm deficient in just about everything, mm-hmm. including sanity at this point. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it was. It's it's just like a constant thing now, where I'm like, yeah, this one, this one, and it becomes such a routine as well. So I'm so used to it, and then people point it out, and they're like, oh, you take like a lot, and I'm like, no, I don't. Like, yes, (laughs) yes, I do. I just don't realize. Yeah, it's like you had a 24 hour cam on you, and you just watched yourself (laughs) walking through your life. You'd be like, God, I'm literally always putting something in my mouth at all times of the day. I'm just like constantly just just popping. All the time, Kat. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to hear about um, you know life life prior to serotonin syndrome because you'd, you'd mentioned that you're you know you're dealing with Ehlers Danlos and uh, this uh, was it dysautonomia dysautonomia. It's pronounced in so many different ways. I swear every time I pronounce it one way, I get told it's the other way. <laughs> but it, so it's either dysautonomia or dysautonomia. Depending mm. on who you ask. Right. Or in which country you're in, probably. Yeah. 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 I mean, coming from Western Australia, it's, I mean, you can pretty much say whatever the fuck you want and we're just going to go, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Cheerio. That's yours. Oh, there we go. He bounced. <laughs> he, he went from Australia to Britain real quick. Oh, yeah. You would oh, not get caught dead saying cheerio here. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, you know, like uh, Ellers Danlos, uh, something that we've spoke spoken about a lot on the podcast over the years um how has that how has that affected you and like and and when when did Ehlers-Danlos kind of become a part of your your life it's really interesting actually so it became far more obvious when I hit puberty because I had quite bad hip dysplasia so one of my hips Mm. is essentially just sitting half out of the socket consistently and we had no clue None of us knew about this and it was only after I hit puberty and bone structure and hips started changing that all of a sudden it was really painful. I was struggling to walk. I was struggling to do just about anything and I was using like a walking stick, which is really weird when you're 13 and in like your first year of high school. And funnily enough, we were actually going to see someone else and. I was in a friend group with a girl named Tess who had El Stanlos. And she was like, do not see this woman. She is awful and should not be practicing. Go see this guy. And this guy is my rheumatologist. Huh. And he sort of, again, just did a couple tests and was like, yeah, no, it's probably El Stanlos. And it probably wasn't picked up on because you would have been so bendy but when you're a baby and they do all the tests, it's usually one of those things that doesn't get picked up on or it does. And it's very like half, half. And depending on like your development, 
whether or not becomes much more obvious. So mm. when I was younger, I was quite overweight and then I lost a lot of weight at around 16 and it was, it probably went from about 50 to 100. So it was like even just that changed things completely. Is um like is is that a is that a component of of Ellers Danla's weight loss? Because uh, uh, because I I feel like I'm picturing everybody that I've that I've like I I didn't I didn't really think about that until just now and then I've thought I thought to myself oh I feel like I feel like everybody that I've ever met with Ellers Danla's is like kind of has this very similar uh like like structure they all are kind of like long and 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 slender. Is that a is that a thing with Ellers Danlis or does that just happen to be? I think it actually depends because there are a couple of different types. I think there's actually like total of like 14 different types that you can have. And the most common are like traditional or hypermobile. Mm. But some of them do come with like really severe and then not so severe digestive issues. Mm. There's one, like you'll find there's quite a few people who have Ellis Danlos who also have feeding tubes like permanently because they have such severe digestive issues. And I know mm. like I've met people who were, where it's essentially like their whole digestive system is frozen. It just doesn't really work. And so they can't process food properly. Mm. Whereas for me, it was actually more of a choice. Like I chose to lose that weight and I mean, it does definitely have digestive issue factors for me, but not nearly as severe as quite a lot of people. I think one of the one of the craziest things about Ellers Danlos that I've uh, learned over the years is is well I, you, that you mentioned it like it comes in so many different forms, and and I I feel like even with the first person that we spoke about Ellers Danlos with on the show, which was Joanne, um, we didn't. Re- we really kind of got really stuck in on the hypermobility part of it. And, and then later on through further discussions with her, we realized like, Oh, this isn't just hypermobility of your shoulder. Like it's also hypermobility of like the tissue that holds your heart in place. Yeah. And like how, how, like how it just goes so much, it goes so much deeper than just surface level with like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I tear, I tear my shoulder really easily. Uh, like what, what sort of, um, like, has it led to surgeries for you? You know, you mentioned some digestive issues, like what are the sort of the main ways in which Ehlers-Danlos has, um, uh, affected, affected you? For me, the most obvious ones, if you're just looking at me is it can affect your skin quite a lot as well, because I mean, it's all related to essentially a defect in your collagen production. Mm-hmm. So I bruise extremely easily. I scar insanely easily. Mm-hmm. And when you've got a cat who is old enough that she doesn't retract her claws, that is a problem. <laughs> and then it actually, and this fascinates me, it actually makes your skin more translucent. So you can see way more of my veins huh. than most people. Interesting. Cool. And then it can make your skin more stretchy as well, which I don't have nearly as much, but my brother does. Hmm. And he has allergenos as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. So chances are both of my parents have the gene. Right. Mm. And we think my dad might have actually had it, but it's sort of rebounded now where he's 
not been treated for it. It hasn't been recognized. And now he's very stiff because over time his muscles have kind of just worked so hard that they've become immovable objects. Mm-hmm. And is, is Elegendalus uh, autoimmune? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and is that what, a, it, like, does a rheumatologist, is a rheumatologist an yeah. autoimmune doctor? Yep. Like yep. just generally? Yeah. Arthritis, uh, Ehlers-Danlos, all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. I feel like because I because because you I always I always pair room uh uh rheumatology or rheumatoid with rheumatoid arthritis. Right. Although I know that that is an autoimmune yeah. condition, I kind of like I think I just pair it with like arthritis as like yeah. a as like a singular thing instead of like seeing it as like an umbrella term. Um, Kat, I'm I'm just coming back to the serotonin syndrome. Um, when you got that diagnosis, what 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 was the what was the plan? Uh, you know, I know that with with people that have like severe serotonin syndrome, um, you know, the 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 course of action is just like stop taking the meds that are fucking you up. So um, what did they tell you to do when they when you know, when that doctor was like, oh, this looks like serotonin syndrome to me? It was basically just maybe stop some medication. OK, bye. There was no real oh, wow. support at yeah. all. And I probably should have been hospitalized, especially knowing what I know now, the things that I dealt with and even like the seizures, it took me years before I found out that's what they were. And there was so much of it that was just, I guess, shrouded in mystery almost where I was just like, I don't, I don't know what any of this was. I don't know why it happened. I don't know what was happening. I don't actually know what was going on in that moment or what my body was doing that it shouldn't have been doing, what processes were happening. There was no explanation. So it took me quite a lot of time and a lot of research to put the pieces together. And I shouldn't have had to do that. And I think that's where I become really frustrated is there was no support in place to stop this happening and then there was no support after it happened i feel like um kind of in like a more broader sense like this is it sort of just like it kind of just speaks to you know you said at the very beginning you know like you've got a great healthcare system and you're very grateful and there are lots of great people and then it's like but and then i feel like that is like the and I would say probably the same thing about Canada. Great healthcare system, you know. There's lots of great people working in this in, in the healthcare system, and then it's but it's always followed by a but, and and it's a and they are massive systems. So obviously there's going to be failures and errors and things like that. But it really is kind of like the stories that we hear on the show of people that you know ultimately a lot of people get find their way to the help that they need eventually um is is most is most often the case but not without like a ton of challenges and a ton of stress and work that if things worked in the way that we would hope they would then they wouldn't have to go through that and i think it just speaks to like the how gigantic these systems are when you're dealing with millions of people that are and people that people that work in the healthcare field nurses doctors, everybody else on layered in above and below everybody that works in that in, in healthcare of the simple matter that they deal with so many people. And so it becomes very easy for a person to say, um, 
you know, to say serotonin syndrome and then like just take some meds and then like, okay, like, you know, like let's shuffle out and like get the next person in. And, uh, I don't know. It just like, it kind of, it, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of just like breaks my heart a little bit that the, that the, the thing, there is something like the healthcare systems that we have in, in, um, in countries like Australia and the UK and in Canada that are, are excellent, but at the same time need so much work. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Just like a, just like a, a, a broader, just kind of like a broader thought on like mm -hmm. the, 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 the challenges of the healthcare system mm -hmm. as this like giant machine. Yeah. Kat, um, what would you say is the biggest thing that your um, your experience with serotonin syndrome has taken away from you? I would say probably, I guess the person I was before and the parts of myself that I was most proud of. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? I guess perspective and a zest for life that I don't think I had beforehand. Hmm. Well, Kat, I, I want to say, uh, first of all, uh, <laughs> thank you for being up so goddamn late, uh, uh, on a, on a day where you have to work in just a, a matter of hours. Um, we really appreciate you taking time, uh, to sit down and talk to us about, uh, your experiences with, um, you know, Ehlers-Danlos, uh, your experiences with, with, uh, serotonin syndrome it's been a really fascinating conversation. And uh, on behalf of myself and the guys and all of our listeners, we thank you. Thanks a lot. It's been really fun. And thank you. It's been really amazing. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.